Podcast, and welcome back to Ship of Fools, a nautical D&D podcast, although there will be no D&D played in this episode. Um, instead, we're just going to talk about it. Um, you are- <laughs> Who knows what'll happen, you know? <laughs> You're tuning in. I don't have any dice in the room with me. Actually, I don't think I can say that because That's I fucked. dropped dice all over my apartment, so very likely there's a dice wow. somewhere in this, this room. This will be the first time I don't have to spend all week editing out all of your dice noises. <laughs> oh, true. don't worry, I have mine, I'll do them. <laughs> um, welcome to Ship of Fools' special our special Q&A episode. Um, we have recently reached 50 episodes on our main feed, and so we are celebrating. So everyone who said we could never do it, take that. <laughs> take that, haters. <laughs> My teachers in third grade said that I would never have a successful D&D podcast. <laughs> Uh, my teacher in third grade was my mom because I was homeschooled. Wow. I forgot about that. Man, Andy, we're the only ones who held out. Yeah. <laughs> the only ones who went to third grade. Um, so. <laughs> this explains a lot about how Nolani is improperly socialized. So fucking true. We've been receiving your questions over the past few weeks, um, and we have compiled a list of them that we are going to uh, answer for you. So... With that. So to all the haters who said we could never answer a list of compiled questions, take that. Yeah, and huge thank you and shout out. Well, I guess I don't want to gloat prematurely. An hour from now, I'll say take <laughs> we, that. We could do a really bad job. But sincerely, thank you to everybody who took the time out of their day to, to sauce us and ask. Uh, and you know what? To everyone who didn't, here we are still. So I don't know what you gained from this. <laughs> Okay, um, so our first question comes to us via Instagram from Alabaster, and it's just very, you know, simple, logistical, what are y'all's pronouns, as in us, the people? So I am she, her. We should say our names, though, just in case any of our dear listeners by now at episode 50 still can't tell our voices apart. It's true. Yeah, Hannah. So I'm <laughs> Hannah. <laughs> Uh, I'm Andy, and I'm he, him. I'm Noelani, and or Nani, and or Nolan, and I use they, them, and or she, her, and or he, him. And or are also pronouns in that. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I'm I'm making that a thing. Only when he's doing Star Wars cosplay. (laughs) And I'm Taylor. She, her. Cool. Uh, Next question. Kim on Tumblr would like us to rank the nations of the Lunluma Ocean based on the comprehensiveness of their cultural resource protection laws and policies. Ooh. For sure. Uh, Hannah, I think I'm going to toss this one to you. <laughs> Hannah, I'll let you take this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So honestly, I think at the top of the list, I was thinking about this, and I think it's probably Aban, which is the, like, the high elf kingdom. That tracks. Um, They've got a long time to live. <laughs> exactly. They're long lifespans. They're very invested in kind of making sure that their cultural resources are protected. And also, like, elves are all about kind of, like, the beauty and pristineness of nature. So I think they've got a pretty, like, robust environmental and cultural resource protection laws. Um, I also think that then anytime that you're making a list of like who has the most laws and policies, Lithios is near the top just by the nature of them having a lot of laws. So they're probably also pretty near the top in terms of cultural protection. But they only serve their own interests. Yeah. Bastards. (laughs) But the laws are there. Um, the, the laws do exist. Um, on the low end of the scale, Benswith, 
um, kind of prides themselves on not having laws. That's why Solaris is living there, and he certainly does not care about cultural resource protection. Um, Wow, Bensworth is the offshore banking account of the world. Literally, no, literally. (laughs) Except it's gotta be gotta be the onshore mm-hmm. also nergil hello this guy's just stealing left and right to be fair we don't know where nergil really lives yeah nergil doesn't live in Benswith. you know at some point he was at least temporary residing in Benswith mm-hmm. with his <laughs> finish the sentence yeah <laughs> i don't know what they are to each other now i mean exes <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah but are they like friendly exes I mean, like, I know we saw them together, but they were, things were mm. kind of tense. We also, we didn't, like, codify if they were divorcees or if they were... Just exes. Maybe they're ex-fiancés. Yeah. Yeah. Oh! I don't think they were ever married, just because I feel like that would have come yeah, up. Yeah, I don't think Solaris would ever get married to someone like Nergil, frankly. I think Solaris is too much of a bitch. <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny. If you see Solaris again, you can ask him. <laughs> That's going to be the first thing I say. <laughs> and roll a perception check to see if there's a tan line on Nergil's ring finger. <laughs> Um, another question from Kim on Tumblr. Rank the places of the Lunluma Ocean where you, the cast members, would want to live the most. Oh, shit. I don't feel like I've been to enough to have a certain answer, but... Yeah, I feel like off the top of my head, actually, uh, does the Bluefin Tropical Resort count as a nation? Yeah, that would count. (laughs) This question doesn't ask about nations, it's just places, so... Oh, yeah. Of all the places we've been, that seems like the most chill and fun. Yeah. They've got a magic wall that keeps storms away. No one's attacking it except for that one time people did. (laughs) Predictably, perhaps, I'm going to, I'm going to have to say either the Dragon Isles or Erebrer. Yeah. Uh, And that is because I more or less conceptualized Erebrer as looking kind of like a combination of Scotland and Iceland, which are uh, good places to be. If you suffer from heat intolerance. (laughs) Yeah. Erebor is like Scotland, Iceland, and like Scandinavia in general. And so it's very, that would be high up on the list for me also. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of like fjords and windswept moors and Mm -hmm. things. I like that. But also the Dragon Isles just seems like a fucking party all the time. So I'd be down for that. I forgot about the Dragon Isles. That's a good answer. Also Angel Isle. Mm, No, I'm okay. (laughs) To each their own. (laughs) Yeah. See, you say that, but... Angel Isle is actually just Amsterdam. It's actually shockingly nice, but nobody ever talks about it. (laughs) Except for it's dark all the time. (laughs) Yes, it's night Amsterdam. (laughs) We haven't been to Erebor, but since I was also picturing it as sort of, you know, full of fjords and such, that seems like a pretty nice place to live. And honestly, I bet Aban is beautiful. Yeah. Mm. Also, Aban, another place that, as far as we know, no one is attacking. <laughs> yeah, so true. What's the point? Um, Gillsbury, honestly, would be really cute, so long as it wasn't actually, like, under siege or whatever, but... Mm. Mm-hmm. The problem with Gillsbury is there's just, it's, there's just nothing there. But you can... All they do for fun in Gillsbury is sit outside. You don't have to stay there the whole time. You don't have to, like, be a homebody, Andy. Well, but it is kind of... If you live in Gillsbury, you do. Yeah, inconvenient to travel across the oceans. I travel to inconvenient places all the time. (laughs) Uh, Our next question comes from Caroline on Instagram. Um, She says, what is Milson's daily schedule? Oh, God, I'm thrilled for this Who the fuck is Milson? (laughs) Your friend. Your friend? Your friend who dealt us drugs? Ow! Yeah. (laughs) 
God. <laughs> um, well, the thing is that they are a pirate sometimes. And so a very different schedule depending on if they're on Angel Isle or if they're uh, out being a pirate. But assuming that they're on Angel Isle. Reagan's been out as a pirate this whole time. Probably wake up at like 1 p.m. Um, yeah. Do drugs immediately. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> which ones, Hannah? Yeah, I know. I should have pulled up my like very long <laughs> list of Angel Isle drugs. Um, that <laughs> it's actually the longest lore document in this entire game. <laughs> it, it's a it's a hefty section that we did not get into nearly as much as I thought we might. Um, That'll be like Reagan's whole epilogue at the end of the show. <laughs> I was gonna say you should commend me for my restraint if we didn't get that deep into it. <laughs> Probably something um, like this is where the issue that I don't do drugs comes in. Something that wakes you up in the morning. Um, oh, speed. So Milson takes Adderall. <laughs> like a high cup of Joe, am I right, folks? <laughs> um, and then, you know, just generally kind of hanging out, uh, getting thrown out of multiple places, almost certainly. Um, there's a dancing on Angel Isle sometimes, you know, um, gambling at that uh, casino that you guys saw on the waterfront. Um, occasional, well, actually, Milson doesn't really like to go in the water as much as possible, being a bird and all who can get kind of uh, waterlogged. Um, <laughs> honestly, now that I'm thinking about it, most Aarakocra from the Lunluma Ocean would probably be, like, water birds. Oh my god, was Milson yeah. a giant Nurgle this whole time and we just didn't notice? Where are the seagull, Aarakocra? Yeah, or like a pelican or something. <laughs> yeah, and then just, you know, they're ge- they're generally hanging out, um, is what you can assume with their daily routine. <laughs> Love that. Do they have friends? Um, yes, but like... Uh, like, are they actually friends or are they like, yeah. oh, hi, Milson? And then yeah. they're like, oh, my God, that guy. <laughs> Mostly the latter. Yes. Oh. <laughs> that sucks. Yeah. They probably have some, you know, like solid friends, but there's definitely a reason they were so excited to see Reagan. Uh, and it's not Reagan's glowing personality. That's <laughs> Nobody's for Nobody's sure. ever excited to see Reagan. <laughs> Except maybe Gersh. Yeah. Um, we also have a, speaking of daily routines, we have a question from Jenna asking, what would Nurgle do on a day where he could do anything he wants by thinking about it? Um, and I'm, I really would love to know if I'm supposed to be taking this as that Nurgle has, like, godlike powers for a day. <laughs> what do you mean for a day? Like. What would Nurgle do on a day where he could do anything he wanted by thinking about it? Um, get- I mean. Ooh, who's going to answer? Go on, Andy. I think we might have been about to say the same thing. He'd get some French fries. That is what I was about to say. Yeah, <laughs> truly a mountain. That's of French always fries. his number one goal. Like yeah. all day long. That's like his one. T- no, I think once he's locked that down, he'd probably have other things to do. He'd be like, you know how Donkey Kong has that huge banana hoard? Nurgle would have that, but for French fries. Would he get like a special yeah. kind of fry if he could just get it by thinking about it? He'd get several different varieties. Oh, so he any is kind a- you can name. Crinkle cut. So he's a connoisseur. He's not like a purist. I respect that. Nah, he's down for whatever. Well, maybe not whatever. I don't know. There might be some kind he doesn't like. What do you think is his like number one? Like a curly fry, a waffle fry, a, a classic French? Absolutely not a waffle fry. Probably a yeah. classic French. I'm thinking like those kind of thick ones that you get in Britain. 
like like a chip. Like a steak fry? Oh, I love a steak fry. I guess. Is that what a steak fry is? I don't think so. I, I think he would like ones a little more narrow than that. The ones that are easiest for him to just turn his neck vertical and swallow. Yeah, fit in his mouth. Oh, like like a good old McDaggs fry. Yeah. I fucking love McDaggs fries. Wow. But also, I don't know. <laughs> Nurgle's... The inner workings of Nurgle's mind are mysterious and sinister, potentially. Yeah. Hey, Andy. Is Nurgle gay? I don't know. I don't think Nurgle could be defined by human sexuality terms. Is he attracted to other species of bird? I don't know. That's actually an interesting question. Like, (laughs) because he's not inherently a bird. Yeah. But when he is in the form of a bird, does he take on... All aspects of a bird, including attraction to other birds. Hmm. Because, you know, if he liked ducks, then eating a curly fry would be good practice. Hmm. Wow. Horrible. That was quite the walk. I didn't like that (laughs) journey we went on. I didn't either. I had to say it, though, because I had to think it. Like, how how much separation does Nurgle feel from his body? Or is he just full in, like, yes, I am Nurgle, a seagull. And then 10 minutes later, he's like, yes, I am Nurgle, a crab. This is me. <laughs> is it like Animorphs where like he knows his true body is a gull or does his true body not exist? Well, I think his true body doesn't really exist is the yeah. thing. Finn created him into the form of a gull. But before that, he was a shapeless energy being. So gull is like his favorite morph rather than like his. But he doesn't even get to control it because Finn's the one su- summoning him. I don't know if he was a shapeless energy being. I guess really Hannah is the one who just knows the answer to this question because it's up to her. Yeah, I do know the answer to this question. He was, he's uh, like the form of the gull is a the form that he's taking so that he can be uh, amongst mortal society without um, panic. Oh, so like Ariel. <laughs> sure, like Ariel. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. He's, a, I mean, he's an aberration. Hey, Hannah. Given the fact that it's the whole day and Nurgle is doing whatever he wants by thinking about mm-hmm. it, would he be a gull? No, probably not. <gasps> and he'd also try to spread the lurker's Ooh. name. And then he'd also just like kind of oh, see yeah. like what Finn wanted to do. Because, you know, they're <gasps> buddies. Nice. We could hang out. <laughs> Aw. Yeah. Do tater tots count as french fries? No. Okay. Wow. Get that shit out of here. <laughs> Like, they're in the same category, but they aren't french fries. Another uh, Nurgle question. Tyler on Instagram would like to know if I can talk about my methods of making Nurgle's voice. Um, <laughs> honestly, I'm not sure if I can. You just kind of, like, screech from deep in your throat. It's like a, ah! Really, I, like, I open my mouth wide. Like, my mouth is fully open. And then it's just kind of like a, a screech in... Again, in my throat. Like, were you to picture, were you to picture a beak on Hannah's face? It does look like a gull. Ah! It's it's guttural. It is guttural. Like it's ah! Ah! it's it's very much in the back of my throat. Ah! Your seagull noise is better than mine. <laughs> ah! I know I I've know told this story before, but about how I like looked up so many before Andy summoned <laughs> Nurgle the first time. I spent so much time listening to seagull noises on YouTube, <laughs> trying to replicate them, and then just gave up and was like, I'm just going to make a screeching noise and we're just going <laughs> to go with it for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. But I do think I've gotten better over time. That's pretty good. You got to get a little bit of the whistle tone in there. Yeah. Oh. I think I've gotten better over time at, like, emoting with it. You definitely have. Like, he definitely (laughs) has more, like, ah, excited or, like, ah, displeased. (laughs) 
<laughs> do us do a sad Nurgle. Ah! Oh. oh, that hurt to hear. <laughs> that genuinely sounded wounded. I can do a pretty convincing pigeon. Mm. That's like me talking to my cats. Oh, all right. This is my pigeon. Oh, Andy's is good. Wow. That's a good one. I can do some, but I can't do them right now. <laughs> I can yeah, do, I can't do <laughs> the noise that I learned that cockatiels make the other night when they're mad, which is... <laughs> I was like, I have sounded like a cat. It was very strange. That's the noise that I make at my cats when I'm mad. Yeah. That's something they did. Sailor's been part cockatiel all along. What other bird not? Okay. Um. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> Concept. You TPK next session. What classes and characters do you think that you'd play next? Hey, what fucks? Sicko. From Magnus on Patreon. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> That is a good fucking mm. question, Magnus. Yeah, because in this in this specific scenario, you guys are making characters for over halfway through the campaign. Yeah, yeah and for this setting and like yeah. for this story, I guess. Ooh, okay. I have an answer. I would go for a, a full caster this time around. Well, I mean, technically you did. You just also multi-class. Yeah, true. Um, but now that we've, you know, I've learned that it's more fun sometimes, or at least less tiring, to fight the genre that you're in as than it would be to, you know, optimize for the genre you're in. So I think it'd be really cool to play, like, an astronomy kind of wizard. I know that's not, like, an actual flavor of wizard, but, like, like a ship's navigator who, like, has this very, like, celestial, but, like, dark, but, like, in the comfort of night kind of thing, and, like lean into like somebody who is guided by the magic of the sea and studies that magic and uses that. Yeah, that's fun. Wait, how is that fighting against the genre? Wait. No, I say it would be more it would it, this would be not oh. fighting the genre. Okay, I see. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Yeah. That is cool. I like that. Cuz my backup, my like second choice character that I would have made if I wasn't Finn was the druid lighthouse keeper mm. who leaves his lighthouse to see the world. And I do think that's a fun character, but if I was to do it now, I think it'd be too similar to Finn, because I already, I just did a character whose whole thing was leaving his home to see the big wide world yeah. for the first time. Yeah. I think I'd probably, in terms of backstory, I think my character would be a, someone else from AAA, like, mm. who joins the fight, just because that seems like a very convenient way hmm. to be a character who's already up to speed on the situation knows some of the same NPCs, can pretty easily slot in. Yeah. But what class would they be? What would their deal be? Or maybe I'd play Baleen as a rogue. Oh, my God. <laughs> that would be, that would be wow, fun. Be and so I could cute. spend every session talking about how amazing my dead friend Finn was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, to play Nira. Just do fucking absolutely nothing related to the rest of the campaign all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I run a separate campaign for Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. It would depend on like what would I automatically choose to go for and what would I do with what Andy and Nolani would be choosing to do because I think those might be slightly different answers. Um, mm. But if I were building a party with the information that they've just given, honestly, I might still go with Bard, which was originally my backup mm. class. Mm-hmm. Um, we would definitely still need someone who can do healing. So, or or maybe 
I would just, if in terms of existing NPCs, maybe Marco would be a fun guy to play. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Because then guy. I could still be into the ocean because I, Andy, have yeah. fun playing a character who's really into the ocean and its mysteries, but cleric instead of warlock. If we were to shift to existing NPCs, I would play Gersh. So true. <laughs> yeah. I think Marco would be fun also, or Nira, but neither of them are really integral to our current. Yeah. Well, Marco and Gersh would be good NPCs to play if you guys had to play NPCs because they don't have. They haven't been in the campaign as much. And so they actually could, like, Baleen or Nira would be hard. We're used to me playing them. They're yours. <laughs> yeah. I think if I was to make an entirely new person, though, it would probably be a member of AAA and probably, like, an Eldritch Knight. Mm. I think that'd be a fun. That'd be fun. That's yeah. a fun class. That would be really cool. Yeah, if I were making a party, it would sound like we would still need a healer. So I guess I'd probably be a cleric or a bard because I feel like if I went ranger, I would end up being too close to Malachi. Mm. Mm. However, if I didn't have to worry about us not having any healers, I'd probably want to try um, a fighter or a barbarian, which isn't super exciting, but like yeah. Would be fun. It's I like playing I like playing melee fighters. Yeah. And I think it would be really fun to play someone who's different from Malachi in that sense than someone who's just like kinda excited to fight, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Not that Malachi like shrugs away from battle, but like I feel like it would be a very different approach to it, which would be really fun. Yeah. Mm. There's a difference between like, okay, here we go, fight time versus like <laughs> I'm ready to draw some blood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Versus hell yeah, fight time. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I don't know. I think a sorcerer would be fun to play in this world, but I wouldn't want to play another sorcerer after we had... Like, I wouldn't want us to have a sorcerer and a paladin in the party again, or a, a warlock and a paladin, or a warlock and a sorcerer, or whatever. Yeah. My astronomy wizard would be a tabaxi, and it would be a bingus tabaxi. Incentive for me to have to keep Reagan alive, because I don't want you to play a bingus tabaxi. <laughs> Because I think it's funny because cats don't like water, allegedly. I don't know what race I would want to play. I'd Mm. probably just be human or maybe like a triton, something underwater. Nice. I just, I'm picturing a naked, bald, wrinkly cat in a wizard hat and robe. (laughs) Honestly, I'd probably go variant human or Aarakocra if Hannah let me or nerfed it somehow, I guess. I'd probably, especially in this scenario where you've already TPK'd, I'd probably be willing to let you do whatever. Throw us a bone at that point. (laughs) Exactly. I don't know subclass, though. That I'd have to think on more. Another question kind of related to character building. Um, If your characters had to class swap with the other PCs, what would their subclass be? Like if Reagan had to be a paladin or warlock, but could be a different type from Katie on Patreon. I think Reagan would be a Hexblade. Mm. So true. Uh, Finn would be an aberrant mind sorcerer Mm -hmm. because that's pretty similar to his vibe (laughs) right now, just not quite as water themed. Yeah. But it would keep the core of Finn is a weird fucked up being that should not exist. (laughs) Yeah. But what if Finn had to be, or whoever was to be the Sork had to also be a Sork Barb? (laughs) Oh, interesting. Oh, then I would go, um, if Finn was a barbarian also, he would be a Storm Herald barbarian with the C subclass. Oh, I forgot about barbarians. (gasps) Wow. I don't think Malachi would be one. No, I I was absolutely thinking Mal would have to be the sorcerer. (laughs) Yeah. 
I cannot picture Malachi as anything other than what he is. Malachi is so absolutely a paladin at his core, but I think maybe divine soul sorcerer, if only to fulfill like his like mechanical niche. And also, I mean, let's be real, guy wants some some help there. Yeah. Finn could be a paladin because Finn does have very strong convictions That's true. about a lot of stuff. <laughs> like, he does have an oath and a goal that he is completely committed to. Yeah. Okay, I don't know jack shit about paladins because I, like, make it a point to not acknowledge paladins and clerics. Um, <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> so... This is really possibly going to piss some people off, but I know that everybody hates Oathbreakers, so statistically speaking, if Reagan was to be a paladin, I think he would be an Oathbreaker. No, that's, I actually, I'm a fan of that take. I, I understand that mechanically, but I don't understand it where you're getting it statistically, because people absolutely love Reagan. <laughs> but in world, like, he's a problem. <laughs> no, this is a lot okay. of necromancy. Never mind. Ah, gain a bonus to melee equal to charisma. Maybe. Maybe. Finn, I think Paladin Finn would actually be an even darker character than Warlock Finn. Yeah, I agree. Because he'd be like Oath of Conquest or yeah. something with like the dream of <laughs> yep. destroying the air-breathing world. Wow. <laughs> Everyone say thank you to Andy and Taylor for choosing the classes that they did. <laughs> Yeah, honestly, we swap you two. We can just do a darker version of this campaign. Yeah, like, Reagan's could go either way with his, but if you swap either of our classes, it's bad. <laughs> Ironically, okay, you know what? Now that I've actually, you know, read the Paladin section of the Player's Handbook for the first time in my life, um, wow. <laughs> Reagan could absolutely be a Vengeance Pally, Yeah, and that yeah. would be such, like, a good-aligned arc for him, ironically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Messed up. Feels weird. Yeah. Reagan's arc could work as a paladin. Finn's would too, but it would just be horrid. <laughs> It'd be like the Crusades. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, and Malachi could work as a warlock, but he'd be super different, but I think he would be better as a sorcerer. Yeah. So true. Okay. Um. Also, kind of speaking of changing the way that we do our characters, ch from Kay on Patreon, if you had to change the way you voice your characters, what new accent would you give them? Well, you know what I would do? I would drop my own voice down an octave if possible. <laughs> mm. I love this question because it implies that what I'm doing for Reagan is a conscious choice. <laughs> uh, I don't really know. So Reagan was, I'm sure I've said this before, Reagan was originally supposed to have a proper North Country accent, um, <laughs> but I have a really bad habit of turning all of my English country accents into Australian accents. Mm. Uh, and then I added some West Country to make it just proper pirate garbage. Uh, so I think if it was not to be proper pirate garbage, I would do like something Baltic, mm. like... Reagan could absolutely work as, like, an Estonian dock worker. But again, I would have to smoke a lot more cigs to get there. Sure. I really don't know. I think, honestly, maybe I, like, wouldn't make Finn's voice as high. Like, closer to just my normal speaking voice. Mm -hmm. Because, basically, sometimes I find that it's a little hard to be as, like, dramatic and intense as I want to mm -hmm. be. Mm -hmm. When I have to talk like this. <laughs> instead of talking like this. Yeah. And he's got, like... Anime protagonist voice syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> You're Yugi. Because, like, early on, I was like, oh, yeah, like, I'll have him talk, like, a little more, like, chipper and higher up because he's, like, young and happy-go-lucky and naive. But 
I just got to stick with that. What does Estonian accent sound like? <laughs> is it more Slavic or is it like? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I'm Regan Starkweather. That's Ooh. giving like full on Russian. <laughs> yeah, that would be kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, he is from the icy north. Yeah, something something kind of weighty and gravelly, yeah. which just feels like an Eastern block accent, you know? Yeah. I feel like for Malachi, I mean, deeper would be ideal, but I don't think I can physically talk as low as I would want to. Um, I don't know, man. Because I don't think any specific accent would be right for Finn, because the whole point of Gillsbury is that it's just such an unremarkable place. <laughs> it's like not supposed to map onto any yeah. real world region. You are pretty accent neutral. Okay. Um, question from Kestrel on Patreon. Uh, Hannah, what makes an NPC fun to play for you? Who are your favorites to play? And then players, which NPCs are your favorites to play against and why? Um, I can go first if you guys want to think. Good question, Kestrel. Thank you. I like, so there's kind of like two things that make an NPC fun to play. I like some of the like dramatic villains are very fun and specifically like, um, the high priestess is very fun for me. I like her kind of like <laughs> I like her voice, bitchy like bitchy pretentiousness, and her voice and her like her the sorts of airs that she puts on are fun to do. As opposed to like Retval and the adventurer are both very very hard. Like I do I like having those characters around, but they're they're hard to play because mm. Retval has to sound smart and the adventurer has <laughs> to sound like so commanding. Whereas the high priestess is like she's. Her, her her position is commanding and her magical power is commanding, but she herself is, like, putting on air. A girl boss. Yeah. Um, and then Ben is also very fun to play. He's, uh, he's very, uh, I don't know, I like him. I like his caginess. I like his, like, <laughs> his, his sort of charisma where he doesn't necessarily need to seem like he's on top of the world all the time, but instead can just kind of be like, hey, whoa, 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 we don't need to have this fight. I'm just fight. a little it's guy. Like, yeah, I'm just, just a little, little guy. Boy. But then also getting you right where he wants you is, I'm, he's fun to play. Um, and then the other- Man, I hate that guy. The other types of NPCs that are fun for me are the ones that are just very comfortable. So like, Nell and Shiloh are both like very easy and comfortable for me to do. And so I like Mm. playing them because it's just sort of like, those are the ones where I'm most comfortable just like being in the scene and sort of like interacting with the party. Yeah. Because they're just very, they're characters who I understand their headspace very well. And so I'm not having Mm. to like think on six different levels. It's like, I'm just playing a character. Mm -hmm. I yield the floor. Well, I think I know who my favorite NPC to interact with is. And it's Vance. <laughs> I am going to say Nurgle. You know, it's just, it's always, it's always a good time when Vance shows up. Love a good Finn Vance scene. What's their deal? No one knows. I don't know. But it's always fun. Early on, I haven't exactly followed this, but I haven't exactly abandoned it either. I thought it'd be very funny to have a dynamic with Vance where like Finn is like a grand epic hero except for some reason there's one guy he knows who he's always really mean to. <laughs> but then I was like, no, that's too simplistic. I don't want it to be that Finn is like bullying Vance. I just want it to be an absolutely unintelligible <laughs> dynamic. I want Vance to be so confused by Finn. Boy, you've gotten there. <laughs> he sure is. Because it was such like a quick shift in that first episode where we met him, where at first I was like, oh, okay, new cool pirate NPC. 
And then as soon as I started messing with him, I was like, oh, no, this guy's a rube. <laughs> and now he's wearing your death ring. Yeah. I can't wait to see him again. Wow. Love wins. <laughs> Maybe you won't. Maybe he'll die. Ha, ha, ha. Serves him right. Him the death ring. Um, I would say, again, incredibly predictable of me, um, my two favorite NPCs to interact with are probably Alden and Retval. Mm-hmm. Alden, because I, the human, find it incredibly funny when I know that Hannah's throwing me a bone and she knows that she's throwing me a bone and it's like... <laughs> <laughs> and you know like when a dog you know that tiktok trend of people giving like a food to their dog and they say take a small bite small bite, be gentle and then the dog like either takes a really small bite or like eats their entire hand that's how i feel every time hannah is offering me a scene with alden um and then with a retval i find i like it because it's really hard it is really, really hard for me to play Reagan against Retval in a way that I find good and correct um, because, you know, it's so easy for me as a person, you know, to be like, haha, bravado and um, wit and like cutting him off at the knees by making a dick joke. But like that's that's so disingenuous to the reaction that Reagan would actually have to this person who, you know, he thinks ruined his life, basically. And so it's it's really challenging to get the mix of defiance and also hatred and also fear that Regan feels towards Retfall is a huge acting challenge. So I'd say that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, <laughs> no surprises here. Definitely, like, the guys who I think of as, like, my NPCs, I have a lot of fun with. Like, guys who are from my backstory are really fun because, like, it's, you know, like, you create this sort of, like, base information of something that you know you like to, like, play with and some something that you know is, like, specifically influenced how your character interacts with the world. And then Hannah knows you so well and she just makes them perfect and, like, fucks you up every time. So, Nira, I really like sibling dynamics and exploring those in fiction and I think they're really tough to get right but I think Hannah's done a really good job with setting that up in a way that makes it interesting and also she's just such a fucking girl boss (laughs) Nira is so cool so I really like interacting with Nira because it's really it's probably the most complicated relationship Malachi has um and on the same vein like interacting with his moms is really fun too because there's just so much shit there and I like having those scenes that make you uh, have to get really into it. Um, mm. Yeah. I also like, uh, again, the baddies. Like, the dreamer is really fun to play off of because she's so antithetical to pretty much everything about Malachi. But she knows exactly how to tap into that, too. So it's it's like when Alani was talking about with Redval. It's really a tough thing to figure out how to react to the dreamer in any given scene. And, and she, Hannah always, like... gets under my skin as the dreamer in a way that really like in on some levels is frustrating to play against but that's because it makes me get into character and malachi is frustrated because he doesn't know how to react to it because she's really sort of like sees what she's doing and adjusts from there she's like very on the fly with how she plays with him i think which just makes those scenes sort of 
both really, really hard and also exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so true. That's good that she comes across that way. (laughs) (laughs) And the adventurer. Actually, you know what? That's not true. I think it's cool when we interact, but it's so hard. (laughs) Fucking hate that lady. (laughs) Everyone else did multiple. So my other favorite NPC to interact with has got to be Baleen. Just because we're friends and it's fun to hang out. Baleen is also very fun for me to play. Like, it's always just a very sort of comforting moment to have an interaction with Baleen. Yeah. Because, you know, most times in this campaign, I as a player am always a little worried about, like, oh, like, what's going to happen? Like, got to look out for the angles. Like, who is this person? Can we trust them? Yeah. But, like, there's no question. Like, Finn trusts Baleen implicitly with his life. Like, he doesn't have any secrets. They're just... That's nice. They're just good, good good buds yeah i also do love watching you play with hannah and referring to anecdotes and things that they have done and watching hannah have to be like yeah when we oh yeah that's also fun the- <laughs> establishing gillsbury lore on the fly with baleen that is genuinely very fun hey and great segue andy because speaking of baleen i can't wait for old octo johnson to finally appear in the campaign <laughs> That's a little joke for our patrons. Listen to the mud bath, everyone. <laughs> um, speaking of Baleen, Caroline, again, wants to know what it was like the first time Finn told Min and Baleen how the sea was going to swallow the land and everybody would die, and he thought that was good. How did they react? <laughs> Great I've been question. i thinking about this question ever since I saw it. <laughs> yeah, that is a good question. That's something that, like, I really didn't think about either until I read the question. Where they were like, ah, Finn. Yeah, well, and because, like, well, so that's the thing, Taylor, is that most people in Gillsbury, when Finn says things like that, are just like, ah, yeah, haha, like, that's nice, Finn. Like, you know, very indulgently. Um, But Min and Baleen, like, take him seriously. And so I do think it would probably more of a, like, the sea's gonna do what? (laughs) Like, the... (laughs) I think there's a few aspects to it. One... Finn doesn't dwell on the... He doesn't even think about the part where everyone dies. Mm. Until very recently. (laughs) Like, that part doesn't occur to him, so he would never bring it up to them. Like, he wouldn't say, the sea's gonna swallow the land and everyone's gonna die. He'd say, like, oh, we're all gonna be hanging out in an octopus's garden under the (laughs) sea. Won't that be fun? Yeah. And I think part of it is it's just one of those things... I don't think any of them would be able to tell you when the first time Finn mentioned the sea swallowing the land would be because they've all known each other for their whole lives and it's a thing he's basically just always said. So it's something that I think to a degree they took it for granted as just a thing about Finn. Yeah. It's like how if you've been friends with someone since you were little kids, you don't remember meeting them. They've just always been around. Yeah. And that's how it is for Finn's ocean obsession slash doomsaying yeah classic finn yeah and i think there's there's also an aspect there i think especially like for baleen now an aspect of kind of like trusting finn enough to be like like the sea swallows the land but everything is going to be fine anyway um Min's a little bit more practical. And honestly, I don't he's got other things he's thinking about right now. I don't know if he's thought about it in a while, but it's definitely kind of like a I, like maybe he doesn't he doesn't quite believe it or they they all sort of see it as like a faraway thing, right? Like the sea's not going to swallow the land now. Right. I think what I said to Ben was that it could be soon or it could be millennia from now. Yeah. Like so statistically, it's probably not going to happen that soon. 
So I think it is concerning. It's like Yellowstone exploding. Yeah. You know? Like back of your head, it could happen, but it's like probably fine. Yeah. Would you really dwell on that? Or would you just be like, yeah, okay, anyways. Yeah. Because Finn didn't manifest any magical powers till he was a teenager. True. Until he had that incident where he almost drowned and then washed up on the beach. Before that, he still had the the certitude, but no actual magic to back it up. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I wish I had a better answer here, because that's a really interesting <laughs> like exchange they must have had. But I think the best answer I can give is that they try not to think about it. Yeah, I would concur with that. But a lot of the things that are happening right now make you think about stuff like that more. Exactly. Yeah, I don't know what Min is thinking about it now as opposed to what he was thinking about it a few months ago. Yeah. Another thing is, in Gillsbury, Finn doesn't talk about it as much as he does when he's out and about. Because mm. when he's constantly meeting new people and going to new places, he's got to spread the word. <laughs> in Gillsbury, he's already talked to everyone about it. <laughs> so he doesn't need to bring it up a lot. He just takes it for granted that everyone already knows. Yeah, so true. So it doesn't come up as much as it does in this podcast <laughs> if he was just hanging out with Min and Baleen. There's other stuff that Finn talks about. Fuck, man. Finn's really just a missionary. <laughs> He's literally just an evangelical. <laughs> uh, relatedly, Kay on Patreon asks, do you think Baleen will be able to reintegrate back home one day, or will her harrowing experiences have changed her from her small town ways? I I would say, like, she definitely wants to go home, but she definitely, it is like a, when you uh, get a taste of the the kind of like wider ocean and sort of have your eyes opened to the way that things are outside. Like there's a part of her that is just like, wow, this sucks. I want to be back in Gillsbury with my boyfriend. Um, but there's also like a part of her, like she said it a couple times. There's been a couple lines where she's like, I guess I'm the farthest from home I've ever been. And it's like of, of the three of them, like Finn wanted to go out and see the ocean. And Baleen was definitely the one who was more into like, I don't know, she likes doing things and having fun and being kind of, like, outgoing. And so, I don't know, long long way to say I don't really know. We'll kind of have to see where she's at at the end of the campaign. Yeah. It's also worth pointing out, though, everyone in Gillsbury has gone through mm. some harrowing stuff now. Yeah. No matter what happens, it's never going to be the same as it was there. Yeah. So it's like, no one, no one from Gillsbury can truly ever go home again, but... They can Yikes. have new homes. Yeah. This is really activating my Joseph Campbell boner, uh, for which I apologize. But now that you're verbalizing this, I think it is really funny that Baleen is going on her own parallel hero's journey. Like she literally, mm -hmm. like she received the call to adventure. She met the mentors, except the mentors were us fuckers and, <laughs> you know, belly of the beast and all of that. And so, you know, by that metric, she will never be able to return home in the same way. And th thinking about that and thinking about the hero cycle made me <laughs> made me think about how if this was like a YA novel, Baleen would be the protagonist and we would mm -hmm. be like the hot older brother anti-hero <laughs> characters <laughs> who like maybe one of them would be like allegedly a love interest, but everybody feels really uncomfortable with it. And like, it's not well addressed in the book. <laughs> You know, not if I was writing this book. Also, Finn and Baleen are the same age. <laughs> if no, I'm saying if this was like a YA book written at the time that you know I was 
OYA reading YA books. That's absolutely how this would go. Like this like young naive farm girl and the brooding Walter Pataki. I just think it would be funny. But I also think that Hannah could do a much better job Thank of you. writing that story contemporarily. That would be really funny and also an interesting inversion of genre. But I do think what you're saying at the beginning, like it is, Baleen is definitely one of those NPCs who is very much having her own arc, like largely yeah. off screen, which I think is fun. Yeah. Which is how it should yeah. be. Like you could recenter the story to be about Baleen and there would still be a story. Yeah. It'd be a hell of a story. Apparently she has her own friends in AAA now. Yeah. That's yeah. fine. I don't mind. I'm not bothered at all. <laughs> She's got a network. Remember when she went to jail? Like, <laughs> yeah, she was going to be executed. Mm-hmm. Maybe she took the Ben betrayal personally. Um, Another question uh, from Brianna, a.k.a. Dr. Pepper Bidet on Tumblr. Um, Would like to ask Nani and Taylor a question. Do you foresee having to kill Finn? <laughs> You better not. In the PvP, absolutely. <laughs> this is a great question, Brie, and I yes. love it. Um, because I, both Nani and Reagan, absolutely not. Because, I mean, Reagan and Finn are homies, and Reagan is also <laughs> a fucking mercenary and has already, you know, been like, you know what? Yeah, no, I'm into this lurker shit. So, you know what? If Finn, you know, successfully went dark, I am going to be his fucking right hand man. <laughs> Wait, is Reagan into the lurker shit now? Because I didn't realize that. That's great. He's lurker parallel, you know. All right. So, what was the wording of the question again? Um, do you foresee having to kill Finn? Not Malachi. Well, Although Malachi I guess you can answer for Malachi also, but either way, I don't. Unless Andy's got something wild up his sleeve. <laughs> but I, I can see the world in which that would become a necessity for the safety of the world <laughs> but malachi i don't think he could do it oh even if he knew Ah-ha-ha. that that was what had to be done i don't think he could personally swing the sword wow good to know like <laughs> i think he might have that like crisis of conscience where he'd be like going to do it and been like fuck i really can't do this Wow. And then Nira runs in from the side yeah. and just stabs Finn in the heart. <laughs> and then Vance appears out of nowhere and starts teabagging him. Oh, he could never. Vance would also have a crisis of conscience if he had to kill Finn. <laughs> or if Malachi had to do it, it would be like a murder-suicide maybe. Like if Malachi had to do it, he'd probably be like, Finn, buddy, I love you. Like that, like the mm-hmm. embrace and like telling him that. Oh, like Jon Snow and Daenerys. And then stab through the both uh, of them or something. Because mm-hmm. I don't think he would want to live with oh. that shit. But. Oh, oh, that's good or stuff. Or Malachi could kill Finn if Malachi was already dying. No. No. Oh. No. <laughs> wow. Goddamn. That's the thing. He, he like, he thinks he's got all of these like grand, like, he wants to be so selfless, but when it comes down to it, there's some things where he's like, he's just a guy. Like, he's not mm. some ideal moral. Like, he wants to be perfect moralistically, and he's not, obviously, because nobody is. But yeah, I think that is one of the things that he'd have too much trouble to actually follow through with, unfortunately. Wow. <laughs> so just true. a man. For the world. <laughs> not a hero. I know I didn't get asked this directly, but I'm going to weigh in, which is. I, Andy, as a player, don't foresee it, but I wouldn't rule it out. Just as I don't. <laughs> Gotta keep us guessing. See this campaign 
ending with us like turning against each other. Wow, that'd be something. I just think it's going to be more satisfying if we are a team. But I don't know. Honestly, it's hard to say. Who knows what's going to happen? In the dark campaign where Malachi is a warlock and Finn is a paladin, absolutely. I do think that Finn is, there's an element to Finn that is always on guard for Malachi trying to kill him. What? Mm. It was one little poke in the cast. Well, here's the thing. A, you did not hesitate to stab him. Because I knew it wasn't going to hurt you. In listening, because I listened to everything a lot. When I'm editing, I've noticed that I do just, that it does just come up a lot, situations where we joke about Malachi harming Finn. (laughs) Like, there's many times where, like, something will be happening. Anytime Malachi is, like, walking towards Finn with a weapon drawn, I always go, like, oh, no, it's happening. (laughs) Which is something that I didn't realize was such a trend, but it really is. So, yeah. It's occurred to Finn that Malachi might try to kill him someday. That's really funny. I think ever since, wasn't there some moment where like Nurgle recoiled from Malachi's rock early on? Oh, I think so. Yeah. There was some weird interaction. Mm -hmm. I think ever since that, it's been in the back of Finn's mind that like, hmm. Yeah. We may be at cross purposes someday. I feel like (laughs) Finn and Regan have a lot of like side moments of doing brainless shit together while Malachi's like, actually doing work or like trying to solve a problem or something so i i don't think i think reagan could nah reagan probably couldn't even kill him, but reagan just wouldn't want to malachi wouldn't either that's what i'm saying yeah and let me be clear finn doesn't want that to happen finn doesn't want him and malachi to be at odds like he is they're friends and it would break his heart but He's a little wary of it. Malachi couldn't kill either of you, even if you were, like, trying to kill him. Even though I have been begging. <laughs> Basically, like, the the forces that you've both sworn yourselves to are not, like, as far as you know, not currently opposed. But, like, right. as the power shifted and depending on the, the way that the chips fall, the powers that you serve could become against each other. And so... That raises questions. And that's the thing. I think in that situation, Malachi would hold to his oaths in, he, in that he wouldn't just let Finn, like, do whatever. <laughs> but mm-hmm. Boo. He's kind of latched on to Finn and Regan as the only people who he, like, fundamentally, like, trusts and, like, cares about. I mean, like, he cares about a lot of people, but, like, Malachi's very attached to you as the only people who he doesn't feel have abandoned him and such. And he would never want to do that to them either. And he would never be able to outside of our eventual hopeful pvp for fun uh-huh. if either of them were attacking him i don't think he'd be able to make a move against him wow huh so true um so then this seems kind of connected to this um for the players from the beginning of the campaign have you had an idea of your character's intended arcs and has the trajectory there changed at all or evolved as the campaign has gone on from meg I think basically when we started, I knew Finn's basic premise, like who he was as a pitch and some general ideas about like his personality and everything. And then I had general ideas about how I thought going out into the world would affect him because obviously that was going to happen in the story was him seeing more of the world. And I didn't really have a specific path in mind, but I had ideas and still do have ideas about what it would mean for his worldview to just expand so rapidly and how that would interact with his previous worldview. And basically, I knew there's going to be conflict there. 
<laughs> I didn't know, and I would say I still don't know how exactly that conflict's gonna be resolved, but we'll see. Mm. It's been slower than I imagined it would be at the outset, mm. partly just because there's a lot going on with the plot. You know, we don't always have time to focus on Finn grappling with what it means for the sea to swallow the land. And also because Finn is so much fun to play as an oblivious, like, <laughs> maybe evil but doesn't realize it and doesn't mean to be yeah. character that, like, it's hard for me to let go of it. <laughs> Where, like, if Finn does ever, like, complete his moral awakening and grows a conscience and is like whoa maybe murdering everyone on land is bad <laughs> that takes away all my best jokes <laughs> <laughs> but who knows how that would change his relationship with the lurker would he turn away from the sea swallowing the land or would he just feel a little worse about it or would he get really into learning how to cast a 50th level water breathing spell on everyone <laughs> who can say tune in next time listeners <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think this is, it's a complex question because my answer in an ideal world and from a storytelling sense differs from the answer that is real when we are impeded by such things as mechanics and being, you know, ostensibly a form of entertainment that is produced for an audience to listen to. And it's further complicated by the fact that we really did not have an idea where Hannah was going to go with the plot. <laughs> like, uh, call me an idiot, but I didn't expect, like, this level of political intrigue and, like, there to be, like, <laughs> actual complex shit going on about, like, governmental corruption and theocracy and colonialism. I just signed up for a happy, fun pirate time. <laughs> <laughs> um, all of which is to say that... In a world in which, <laughs> such a stupid answer. In a world of. In a world in which this wasn't Dungeons and Dragons, Reagan's arc would have looked different because mm. I would have wanted him to fight the sorcerer side of him for a lot longer. I, I would have, you know, if it was all up to me kind of similar to what Andy was saying, we just don't have time to get into like all the inner turmoil that's happening. Um, and so in, you know, a novelized world or whatever, I would definitely have wanted, you know, I, I wouldn't have wanted to resolve Reagan's issues with his magic as early as we had to, um, kind of purely for mechanical reasons, because if I was literally just sitting three levels below everybody else having multi-classed functionally, that would have just been a mechanical bummer. Yeah. So that was kind of a sacrifice that I had to make was being like, okay, we're going to kind of just resolve this because it needs to be for practicality. Um, but yeah, ideally I would have wanted that to be a longer running thing. Um, but I didn't have a super concrete arc for him beyond that other than really like yeah this guy you know has elements of being a classical fantasy chosen one and he fucking hates it and wants to be anything but was kind of what i walked into it with yeah yeah i think i mean like as with any DD game you start off not entirely knowing how your guy's gonna be <laughs> when you start playing them actually but i definitely had like the themes that I wanted to explore with Malachi and sort of like the basic, you know, his driving forces and what I wanted to try and touch on with him in mind from the get-go. Like even like as you're creating him, you're like, okay, I want to play a guy who 
blah 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 and I don't know how much I want to actually like say what I intended that arc to be because I don't know if any of it is or will be spoilers <laughs> but um like when I made my playlist for Malachi like way back at the beginning I'm like all right this is how I think the arc is gonna go and how I would love for it to go and so far it's been pretty close to that like I knew I wanted to explore the idea of responsibility and also sort of like the lack of direction that he struggled with the whole time got a little bit of a Hamlet situation going on where he can't quite get himself to make the decision to do the thing that he thinks needs to be done or whatever um but I think as a character the way he reacts to some of those elements has definitely evolved a bit yeah and I, again I don't know how much of that is just like we're getting into these guys and they're this is how they're coming out but um I think I didn't necessarily intend for him to be as recalcitrant as he struggled with being for a long time. So would you say that you like, sorry to cut you off, but like, would you say that you like, you had like themes and stuff in mind, but you didn't necessarily know how they were going to resolve? Yeah, like I had an idea of like an arc that I wanted. And I knew, I knew we were going to explore colonialism because I remember when I sent Hannah my backstory talking about like how he left the army because he's like, oh shit, we're doing the horrible stuff. Hannah's like, wow, this is perfect. I want to do colonialism. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, cool. We're going to have some political stuff here. So yeah, I guess like I had an idea of what a good arc for him might be based on the themes that I wanted to work around. And obviously it, nothing's going to be exactly the way you, I can't predict it exactly, but yeah, so that actually kind of leads into the second part of this question, which was, uh, for Hannah, how early did you have an idea of the campaign's trajectory? Have you had the idea for the main antagonists and or story beats since the beginning, or have they changed since the campaign's conception? So I'm going to try to do this as briefly as possible so you don't have to just listen to me ramble. But like from the very beginning, like as soon as we picked seafaring campaign before we even had characters i kind of like sat down and i was like what does like the sea represent um and what i kind of gravitated toward was this idea of like chaos um and kind of like vastness and unknowability and so i set up this like fundamental tension from the beginning of kind of like law versus chaos and so when i was giving you guys your initial lore it was very bare bones but it did include like there's one kingdom that's kind of the biggest kingdom, um, which has been, like, getting even bigger lately. And that was, like, the little bit which Taylor especially, like, really grabbed. Um, and that was kind of what I knew about Lithios. But I didn't have any of the specific antagonists or anything. And I didn't have a, like, arc planned out until... Because I wanted to know what your characters were like. So then, like, yeah. we played Bluefin Tropical Resort... And I sort of got an idea of who the characters were. And then I sort of like sat down and went, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do kind of like Ben's with, and we're going to do this short little Kuatoa thing. And then we're going to start kind of like hitting these beats. We're basically like, we're going to do a few small adventures and then we're going to hit Gillsbury Dragon Islands. And then we're going to go really tackle Lithios and use that to kind of catapult us into the second half of the campaign where we'll actually go out to the rest of the seas. Like, mm. that plan um, has been planned since pretty early. Nice. The the part that was Lithios uh, expanded in scale 
because I like, and, and I've talked about this at least once, but like I, I kind of sat down like around when we did the Dragon Isles and kind of um, came up with Retfall and texted Nani about the lore. Like that was when I came up with all the big antagonists. And that was also when I finally locked down that the adventurer was going to be what she was, um, which is maybe later than you'd expect. I actually didn't, like, when you first met the adventurer, I didn't know what her yeah. deal was yet. I had an idea, but I hadn't locked it down yet. Um, and then I just recently, it feels recent, but it was months ago, like, sat down and made a full plan for the rest of the campaign. So at this point, and, like, ever since we got to Angel Isle, I have known, like, what the arcs are that are going to get us to the end of the campaign. Ooh. So by this point, it's all planned out. But until Ooh. then, I was kind of, like, laying out the chunks in front of me as I went. But since from the very beginning, I had this kind of central tension in mind. Wait, actually, this makes me want to ask a question. Can I ask a question? Sure. You have to send it to us on DM. <laughs> I have to say it in the form of an answer. <laughs> Hannah, has there ever been a time that one of us has thrown you like a massive curveball? Like, has any one of us ever done something that's had you actually like large scale? I know like small scale, I've done some dumb shit, but like, has there ever been anything large scale where you're like, fuck, okay, I got to reorganize some things? A, a little bit. Um, a little bit in ways that I can't talk about. Um, oh. And a, just in terms of like some of the stuff that I had that I have planned currently right now, I'm worried isn't going to work. And I think I might have to rewrite. Um, but we haven't gotten there yet. Um, I think so th like deciding to go do a heist from Solaris was not something I expected. <laughs> like that was not how I expected you. I think the way you guys reacted to Nira was not what I expected. I genuinely thought like your first meeting with her was going to be you'd see her and then split from her. Yeah. I like didn't expect you to stick with her. And so yeah. that whole diversion before you got back to AAA was I unexpected. I didn't mm. expect you to go back to Ben's with. I didn't expect you to hang out with Nira for as long as you did, um, which is part of why episode 19 is like three hours long or whatever, because I was kind of flying by the seat of my pants <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> so it wasn't as tightly paced. Wow. Peek behind the screen. Yeah. But other than that, nothing that I couldn't see coming far enough in the future that it didn't feel like a rewrite, mm, if that right. makes sense. Yeah. That reminded me of like, I think part of the reason, like, the aspects of Malachi's arc that I wasn't certain about is because uh, when I gave Hannah my backstory, I left a lot of blanks for her to fill. Where it's like, because I, I wanted Malachi to have this mystery of he doesn't know who this person is. He doesn't know how this happened to him. He doesn't know this. And so it was really interesting to find out, like, how she made all of that come together mm. in a way that still managed to fulfill the arc that I was thinking of, even not knowing how those things would turn out. Mm. Yeah. I've just got like pages and pages of like notes and texts from like our earlier days like that I would be like texting Hannah or Nalani or whoever like just be like oh my god Malachi blah 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 and just like pages and pages of it and it's all like pretty much still true. Mm. Yeah. Hannah's uh, really good at this is Hannah's the point. Smart. <laughs> Hannah's so smart and she knows so yeah, much also, about what we want. <laughs> I haven't known like Andy and I have talked pretty directly about Finn's arc. I have not talked to you two nearly no. as directly. So a lot of it is guesswork on my part. So It really is. Yeah. Really, like, I have not once said, Hannah, here's what I want to do. <laughs> I've been like, wow, this is what he's thinking. Like, or <laughs> wow, this would be so crazy. What if you did this to us? <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of, haha, what if we got captured before you got captured? <laughs> <laughs> 
It's called manifesting. Oh yeah, I guess Finn Finn escaping was a pretty big curve. Oh, that like was again, so like oh, I yeah. said, I I had a thought that I left the door a crack open, but I absolutely didn't expect it. That was a curveball <laughs> for sure. And what a curveball. Um, okay, this is thematically connected and might just kind of lead into some of the stuff you've been talking about. But Nikki on Patreon wants to know, have any parts of playing your characters gotten harder or easier with time, either mechanically or emotionally? Oh, Nikki, have they? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like I said before, it took a while to really feel like I was getting the groove of Malachi. So that has been easier in some ways, which is like I don't necessarily have to think as much about how he acts on like a subconscious level but you know as the campaign goes on and things grow more complex it becomes a lot harder for me as the player to sort of deal with playing those things I guess because it's not that it's like he's still like more or less the same guy but with every new thing that happens, there's more to consider in how I approach his reaction to a situation, like, consciously. Because mm. it's like, oh, like, maybe at the beginning of the campaign, he would have just, like, said, fuck you, or, or, wow, this sounds great, let's do it. But, like, you know, at this point, he's got a lot of shit that's gone down that I have to think about when I'm like, okay, this would definitely inform him to act more this way than maybe he would have before. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think... Kind of similar to what I was saying before about uh, the way that Reagan's arc kind of had to happen sooner rather than later for mechanical ease is that, <laughs> fun fact, it gets easier to play your guy mechanically when you're, you know, using your guy's abilities. <laughs> uh, so that made a pretty significant change, um, as well as multi-classing, which is a decision that I so firmly stand by. I <laughs> caught a decent amount of flack for it at the time, which was perhaps justified because, you know, maybe on paper it doesn't look like the most optimized thing to do, but I really enjoy playing that juxtaposition of, you know, being really good at something that you're kind of bad at and... <laughs> Um, just like his personality, it just worked out really well. Um, emotionally, the biggest issue for Regan is that his shit happened already. Yeah. And I think we've kind of alluded to this maybe in a mud bath, but kind of the, the concept that Regan's very much stuck in the past. Finn is very much fixated on the future and Mal is struggling with the present. And I think the fact that Regan has made a lot of breakthroughs in progress with unpacking and healing from his trauma and what happened to him before the campaign started is, you know, good from a health perspective for the guy. But for me as the player, it yeah. does kind of cut off, you know, options because a lot of like in a lot of ways, my shit's kind of resolved. Like, I'm not saying that Rayton is recovered or healed, but like, I truly and the one who doesn't have a long view or like a long-term goal in mind or, you know, even is super invested in what's going on in the present. Um, and we've alluded to that as, you know, being a difficulty. But I also do think it's genuinely really cool that, you know, it's kind of like, okay, like, yeah, I'm, I could go any sort of direction from here. That kind of possibility is cool. But in the moment, it can kind of make decision making kind of like. Mm. It's so true because that like affects how Finn and Malachi react around him, too, because like it makes the dynamic of the group a lot more interesting to have this guy who's like, you know, like he's still here. So obviously 
<laughs> stuff still going on. I mean, like, absolutely makes things more complicated in situations in, like, that interesting way because you're, like, you can't be certain of what Reagan's going to think or do because he's sort of, like you said, sort of, like, over that one hill, more or less. He's, like, on the downhill from the peak of that. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, re- calling it a resolution feels too... I'm in my denouement. Yeah. And, like, you're in your climax, and Finn is at, like, the start of the the uphill. Yeah, I think the thing that has gotten the easiest is just inhabiting Finn mm. and just sort of instinctively being Finn, whereas early on, everything was conscious. Like, everything that happened, everything that someone said, I was like, okay, so, like, what's Finn's deal? How would he feel about this? Yeah. How would his thoughts on that be? But now, at this point... I've established what his thoughts on all these different things are so I can react much more reflexively when someone mentions premarital sex, for instance. Uh, I already know Finn's stance on that, which then frees me up to think about even more things, more slightly more complex things, where it's like, oh, so what's his take on this and this? Yeah. Something that's gotten harder is like maintaining Finn's balance because basically there's some obvious glaring contradictions at the core of who he is which there's only so long those can be maintained before it has to bubble up and Finn has to come into conflict with himself. And that hasn't really happened. Like, that dam has not broken yet. Yeah. But the more time goes by, the harder it is to avoid that dam breaking. Basically, the fact that Finn worships a monster is basically a cultist and accepts that the sea is going to swallow the land and is enthusiastic about it. But also... I want him to be a hero. Yeah, yeah. And that was sort of the whole point of the character when I made him. I was like, oh, this is a very cool contradiction. Let's explore that. But the more you explore it, yeah. the more that contradiction builds and something's got to give. Yeah, so true. So basically, I would say the hard thing is like holding out until it's the narratively appropriate moment for yeah. that conflict to surface. That's a really good point. Yeah. Like there have been moments where I was like, oh, like I, that just doesn't work. But there's no time to dwell on that now. Later. <laughs> yeah. There have been so many moving, moments where we're just like, wow, that was very important. But we got to get out of this exploding building or whatever. Like, Yeah. I know. Which is always the thing with D&D. It's hard to, you don't, you don't want to let the action fall too much, especially once yeah. we reach this point in the campaign. The times when I can give you guys breaks are fewer and farther between because there's always another problem and something well, else and you have to do. And it's good because like, God knows if we were at, like, if this were real, we wouldn't have time to, okay, let's sit down and talk about what just happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And not to mention the inherent like difficulty of the fact that when we had more time to talk about our feelings and shit we didn't trust each other exactly you know and now that we're at the point of being like kind of ride or dies it's like well we're just gonna have to wait (laughs) it's like i was having so much trouble with getting malachi to share stuff because like he wasn't quite at that point where like all of the people around were people who he would share stuff to and there, we weren't, we hadn't been in those situations yet that really necessitated any of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, that's certainly gotten easier to talk about some, some things. That's something that's both emotionally and in some ways mechanically much better for me these days. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so true. Because there were times when I'm like, wow, I really wish I could just say this right now. And there's absolutely no way in hell that Malachi would feel like he would do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, one thing that I would say I'm still working on, but I've has gotten better at least from the beginning, is using my spell slots because I've always just been so like hesitant mm. to actually cast my spells. Mm. I'm like, oh, I only have two slots. 
Yeah. But I'm getting better. That's true. You are. <laughs> One more question, which I think we've, uh, again, we've touched on a bit, but I want to at least mention it. Um, for Hannah, I know you've hinted a bit on mud baths before, but do you have a process for writing and planning stuff? Are you more so the type of DM that plans a whole world and lets them loose, or do you plan a story and see what they do with it? Yeah, to answer your second, from Alabaster on Instagram, to answer your second question first, I'm absolutely a plan a story and see what they do with it DM. I don't really do like <laughs> sandbox-y campaigns. Um, the, the closest I get is like for one of my other games that I run that's not a podcast, I'm running Rime of the Frost Maiden, which is a module. And that one has more like there's locations and the party can kind of pick where to go. But even then, like, I've put the locations together into a story with a trajectory. <laughs> like, that's just how my brain works. Um, and for the podcast, for sure, like, like I just talked about, there was a, an arc and you think about stories and stuff like that. In terms of my, like, process, and even, uh, one more thing, even as a player, like, what I like the most about D&D when I'm a player is getting to, like, have the story in front of me and control how my character reacts to it. Like, I've played in some campaigns that were more, like, open world, but I always prefer the ones that are, like, there's a story that the DM... Like, I love to follow when a DM gives me breadcrumbs. I just want to see what the story is. Um, as far as my, like, process for writing and planning stuff goes, I have a, like, Google Drive folder that has one document per arc. Um, and we are currently, as of where the episodes that are out are, so, like, episode 50, um, is in arc... We're, we're in my, my 11th document. Episode 50 is the very in beginning... The very beginning of arc 11 is episode 50. Um, Ooh, yeah. tangles. And so we have had, like, every time we, we go into a new arc, um, I, like, sit down, I make a new document, and I usually, like, lay out the basics of kind of, like, okay, these... This is, like, the order things are gonna happen in, and then I go through and I'm finding monster stat blocks I kind of plug in and those are usually the things I do later like I start with the what's going to happen here and then I kind of go okay so like like my my basic outline at the beginning will have like a big monster fight like they they encounter a monster um and then I go back and find that monster later and decide what it's going to be and put it in um yeah that's the basics of my my writing and planning in order for more i would have to uh take you much more in depth into my uh hannah's mind palace but there is a method to it okay lightning round questions that we should be able to answer in one sentence everyone get ready and then we will uh finish it out with our final question um from alabaster on instagram what do you think each character's favorite type slash shape of pasta is you have to call our names. Uh, Finn. Uh, actually, I think it would be a novelty kind of pasta that was shaped like little fish. Well. Because while he would never eat a real fish, pasta shaped like fish, that would just be fun and interesting. So true. Reagan. Tortellini, and I don't know why. <laughs> Malachi. Ooh, interesting. <laughs> Yoki. So true. Um, from Runcible Shaw on Instagram, who does everyone want to kiss? Okay. I don't know if everyone has in character. the characters or the player. <laughs> it is not clear. <laughs> <laughs> Unclear in the question. Um, I would say characters, but if Come you want to tell me who you want to kiss, go on. This is about to get saucy, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Truth or dare? <laughs> Let's just spin a bottle. Um, Taylor, you go first. Me? Ma so far, Malika doesn't really want to kiss anybody. Wow, lame of him. He, if if he had to, he would probably kiss. Marco or wow. Quarion <laughs> or 
I would say Reagan, but I feel like that'd be a life or death situation because otherwise he'd be terrified of ruining the relationship. <laughs> I was saying Malachi is like the opposite of demisexual. He's only willing to kiss people who he like does not know and has not interacted much with. Yeah, sure. I don't know. Who do I want to kiss? Yeah. Well, that's a secret I'll never tell. XOXO. <laughs> Nani. Uh, Reagan most wants to kiss Alden at the present moment. Uh, mm-hmm. I want to kiss most people. <laughs> Andy. Uh, I don't think Finn really has any other NPCs who he's, like, actively wanting to kiss. Um, he gives Nurgle a kiss goodnight every night. So he wants to do that on a regular basis. Uh But that's not really romantic. I would hope not. Let me be clear. I want to change my answer. Reagan wants to kiss Rosie right on her mushy nose. Wow. It's not mushy. She's a robot. It's metal. It's still mushy. Ooh. Uh, I, Andy, uh... After this, I'm going to go kiss my dogs who are downstairs. Oh, and my girlfriend, of course. (laughs) Uh, From Lucas on Instagram, tag yourself. Which Angel Isle bar are you? Big Tim. What bar? I don't remember any of them. You're the hookah one. Yeah, you're the mushroom one. Um, (laughs) I also, now we've used up the three that I knew. Even though I'm the one who came up with them. You can still be one of them. That's true. You could just say anything and just declare that it's a bar that's on Angel Island. That's true. You can make up a bar right now. Hannah is the statue of the angel herself. Honestly, I'm that casino by the waterfront. Mm. Um, And then last question. Thank you all so much for joining us uh, on this journey. Uh, Last question from Katie on Patreon. What has been the hardest part and the best part about making a D&D campaign into a podcast? I'll say right now, the best part is I can listen to whatever the fuck I said last time and forgot about. (laughs) I love being able to listen back to stuff and know what's going on. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll tell you, the hardest part is the making it into a podcast part. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, while the rest of you are la di dawing doing I don't know what, I'm toiling away in the podcast minds. Yeah, and we all appreciate you so much. <laughs> uh, which is another way to say the editing, the production, all of the stuff that happens after we record, it takes up a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's rewarding. Give us money. But oh boy, <laughs> is it time consuming. Yeah, give us money, because I basically <laughs> work a second job making ship of fools. <laughs> And I deserve to be rich beyond my wildest dreams for it, I think. Yeah, he sure does. For the low, low price of $5 a month, you too can feed your land all the time. <laughs> yeah. The best part is having fans. That owns it's so really much. The cool. first time I saw fan art of our characters, I had to stand up and take a lap because I was so excited. Like, Same. It's just so cool that a thing we made is a thing that people enjoy and care about. Yeah. 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 Appreciate you, fans. Yeah, I think a major plus is like having a concrete reason to, you know, sit down and take four yeah. hours each week to play D and D with my friends. Like, mm-hmm. that's pretty, you know, because it's it's so easy for that to, you know, become just so impossible to do yeah. when you know we're all adults who live in disparate locations and have jobs and shit. And so to have a reason to like be invested in this and commit to this is really good for me Mm -hmm. um the hardest part for me is again kind of what i said earlier balancing what i would love like in an ideal emotional cinematic textual uh version of the story to be versus you know the fact that we are entertainment we are something that does get produced and something that has mechanical stuff going into it and also that we're ostensibly a comedy, <laughs> like that can be actually pretty tricky is walking the line yeah. between like, you know, there absolutely should be 
moments of depth and gravitas um, and moments that shouldn't have bits in them. But then again, we are a comedy. So that can be a difficult line to walk, I think. One thing that is tough, in addition to what Nolani was talking about, just like the trying to find that balance between what you think would be like so true to what's going on in campaign and what needs to happen in this medium. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But also just like the fact that specifically in making a podcast like I find it really difficult to contend with the idea that like someone could like you know see my character in a way that I didn't intend him to come across or something like that and like trying to know that like I can't control I mean I can control what my character does but I can't control everyone's like understanding or perception of him and it's really tough to think about sometimes because sometimes I'll do things and I'm like I know that this is not necessarily a great thing for him to do or say or whatever. It's yeah. like, but I know why he's doing it. And I know that he blah, 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 blah. But it's just, it's hard to know that you don't really fully have ownership over the characters anymore. Hmm. Yeah. So true. It's very cool to know that they're out there in the world, but it's also a little scary. Yeah. Yeah. I think similar to what Nani was saying, the hardest part for me is that whenever you're, whenever you're playing, but like double when you're DMing, like any choice, whether it's like planning out a big story beat or whether it's literally just like, what is this monster going to do on its next turn? You're having to balance like what is best for the story with like what is best for us as like the people that I'm playing the game with. Mm -hmm. And then there's also these other factors of like, well, what's best for each character's individual arc, Mm -hmm. but and also like what's best for each individual person, which doesn't always line up. And so then to like throw the extra factor of like, what's fun to listen to? And Mm -hmm. like, what what is honest to our audience, just having that extra factor in is something I have to think about is like very difficult. Um, But I think the like the best part is like, kind of because it's so hard and because it demands this extra layer of attention and like effort and like craft it's very fun to get to watch all of us like bring our a game like i love Mm. when i like throw one of you guys something that i know is a hardball like a a surprising development in the story or a like an npc you weren't expecting to have to talk to or an npc who's reacting in a way you weren't expecting to and i just get to see you guys like step up to the plate and like really bring your (laughs) acting and storytelling a game is like really really fun um and just yeah getting to kind of like tell Tell that collaborative story together and then share it with people who care about it enough to listen to 50 episodes and send us questions is really delightful. It really rules to know that people actually like to listen to it. Yeah, we're putting in some sort of impact. Every single time I see that someone has listened to something or someone does fan art or any of that stuff, it's just like every time the thrill is just as high. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for being our dopamine, you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you all so much for listening to our podcast. Yeah. And thank you for uh, sending us your questions. We really appreciate all of the ones we got. Um, those were great questions. Got us thinking. Um, got us talking, as you heard. I haven't used my brain this much in literally three years. Yeah. So. And thank you so much for sticking with us for 50 episodes. And we're excited to hopefully have you stick with us through the end of the campaign. We'll see you there. Yeah. Until we get there, uh, we'll see you on the open seas. And hey, if you want to hear more of our stuff, subscribe to Patreon. Yeah, subscribe yeah. to Patreon. Follow us on social medias at Ship of Fools Cast, patreon.com slash Ship of Fools. Okay, now we'll see <laughs> Thank you, you on the open seas. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.